0: Welcome to the Cash Flow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cash Flow Guys Podcast. My name is Tyler Sheff and I'm your host. And this week, guys, I want to talk about solid gold leads. And you're probably thinking, oh, is he talking about precious metals? Nope, not talking about precious metals. I'm talking about something better, if that can, if there can be such a thing. Better. Because a solid gold lead honestly should give you a better ROI than the equivalent costing precious metal. What do I mean by that? Well, A solid gold lead, let's say your leads cost you five bucks, ten bucks, a hundred bucks, they could lead to tens of thousands of dollars in profit. So at the end of the day, a solid gold lead, a lead that comes from marketing, could easily outpace and earn you more net profit than any precious metal out there. Once you make a decision to put yourself out there by marketing yourself to sellers, the next part, and often honestly the most challenging, is knowing what leads to focus on. What leads to spend the most time and energy on? And sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. I remember when I did my first direct mail campaign, I sat there and sent out a whole bunch of postcards. They got sent out about 2,500 and nothing happened. And then I sent out another 2,500 to the same list and nothing happened. Maybe one or two people called and said, how'd you get on my, how did you get my address? But after I got past that, the third mailing, all hell broke loose. Phone blew up, rang off the hook. And I thought, man, this is great. I quickly learned after spending that kind of change, sending out that big of a list, I learned that leads of any kind, no matter where they come from, certainly don't come for free. Even the ones you meet while you're networking people, because you got to get dressed, you got to go out, you got to meet people, you got to talk to people. There's an investment. It may not be a direct financial investment, but there's always an investment when it comes to leads. So for me, I had to make sure, I had to figure out a way that I could be careful not to waste them. And by wasting them, I mean under, misunderstanding or underestimating, more importantly, the value of a lead and therefore not giving it enough energy, not putting enough into it to convert the lead to a sale. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say I get a Lead and a postcard comes back in the mail, right? So I buy a list and I do a bunch of mailings and I get 50 postcards that come back in there. I never really thought about the value of one lead versus another. And frankly, I thought they were pretty much all the same, right? A bunch of people call those leads until I work them out are all the same value. And I disagree because there are some ways you can automatically determine which leads are more valuable than others. Okay, I was really wrong about the lead evaluation process, and I was literally guys literally throwing money in the trash. I mean, literally, I'd grab those postcards, they'd come in returned, I'd throw them in the trash. Well, what do I mean by this? Well, every time you do a direct mail campaign, you're going to get returned mail. If you do an email campaign, you're going to get a bounced email. When your ads are not reaching, when your content, whatever your offer is, is not reaching the intended party, guess what? Chances are nobody else can either. Think about that for a second. Think about the power of being the only person to talk to that particular motivated seller. Let's call that seller Jane. Let's say Jane moved a bunch of times and maybe she lived out of the country for a while. Heck, maybe she's in the witness protection program. Whatever it may be, Jane's real hard to reach. So everybody and their brother, Jane shows up on all these mailing lists from back in the day when she was an ordinary citizen and easy to find, but these days it's hard to get any direct mail to Jane. Jane doesn't use email because, I don't know, she's in witness protection program, whatever it may be. The bottom line is Jane is hard to reach and when she's hard to reach, Guess what? Nobody can bother her with marketing. Boy, what a great place that would be, wouldn't it? Can you imagine being in such a place that nobody can bother you by marketing? I want to figure out how to become that obsolete because I don't know about y'all, but I get all kinds of junk mail. Eventually, you're going to get to the point to where the phone rings and you think that's great. Well, these are the good leads because these are the people that picked up the phone and called. Well, what about Jane? Nobody's talking to Jane. Jane may still have a problem. Jane may have a property she wants to get rid of. She may have a surgery she needs to, to take care of. She may have an el- an elderly parent going into some sort of nursing care or assisted living, and Jane needs cash now. She needs cash yesterday. But guess what? Because of her situation, she's fallen off the map. It's very tough to reach Jane. Well, these are the li- these are the leads, guys. When when these postcards come back, I get excited. These are the ones that I put right on the right on top of my desk in the front pouch of my briefcase. I know that I need to do whatever it takes to reach out to these people, to get my message to these people, because I guarantee you if if I can't reach them by direct mail, 90%, maybe even a higher number. Most most investors, almost all investors give up. Maybe they'll skip trace them. Maybe they'll spend a 25 cents or a dollar to skip trace them. And then that piece of mail comes back or they didn't get a great skip trace on it and they give up. Bottom line is if you're the one, the last one willing to to give up, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to be the one to get the gold. That's a fact. Imagine if you could sit in front of Jane and Jane's been having this problem for a year and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. By the time you find Jane, man, she's ready to sell. She's ready to go. She just wants this damn thing gone. Thank God you came around. Now, does it take you more time to find Jane? Absolutely. Does it cost money? Sure it does. But I ask you this. Would you rather spend your entire day talking to all these people that call up and bitch you out, asking how you got their information, or would you rather talk to one or two Janes every day? Well, if it were me, I'd much rather talk to one or two Janes. So I've basically changed my strategy where, yes, ones that we send out, we'll talk to those that call in and that's all great. But I get really super excited about the ones we can't track. That's when I put skip tracers on the thing. We roll up our sleeves, we get aggressive and we figured out how to reach these people. We figure it out. I said, we figured it out and not in every case. And some of them we're still chasing. But the bottom line is we're not giving up until somebody tells me that property has been erased from the map. Now I've asked around and over the years, I've talked to thousands of people. And the one thing I've learned, because I asked this question a lot, is what do you do when you get your return? postcards back or you get returned mail back, I'm here to tell you that the majority, over 80% of the people that I've talked to tell me this is what they do. When they get the mail back, they remove them from their list so they don't spend money to market to them again. And then they throw those trash postcards in the trash. Absolutely true. 80%. That means 20% roughly of the people that get returned mail back are actually you seeing that as a potential for a motivated seller because like I said, nobody else can reach them and they're actually going after them. I'd be curious to see of that 20%, what percentage of those eventually convert I would venture to guess, if it their, their experience is anything like mine, the opportunity to convert is significantly higher on the ones that we have to chase after, the ones we really have to work on. Those are the ones for me that I can tell you, if I can get a hold of them, eight nine times out of ten, I can get something on paper. Whether it be now, me, I'm a realtor, so I've got lots of options. I can flip the property to somebody else, I can list it and sell it, I can buy it myself, I can do all kinds of things. So I have options. I have few options that a lot of others don't have because they don't have a real estate license and they've only got a, you know, they're a one trick pony. They've only, all they know is get it under contract and wholesale it for five or 10 grand. But when you employ lots of different strategies, you'll find that when you have unique problems, you can come up with very unique solutions. And some sellers love that. They appreciate that. So at this point, I want to tell you about a situation that happened recently with one of my students. He did a mailing to his list of motivated sellers and he received a handful of them back. Okay, they came back undeliverable. So he gets the postcards because I tell my students, look, you're going to do direct mail. Start with a postcard. Why do you start with a postcard? Number one, you know, it's it, the message is right there in front of their face, so you don't have to try to worry about tricking them by opening the envelope and all this other stuff. Number two, a postcard is cheaper. It's much cheaper to send a postcard than it is any other form of direct mail. So send a postcard, and he gets a bunch of them back and he sets him aside, and then he decides to skip trace him. Well, the seller had an uncommon name, so he began the search using our good old friend Google to see what he could find on the person. So he runs this guy's name on Google, and lo and behold, one of the top results is this guy, the seller, was arrested for committing a double murder. He's currently serving two consecutive life sentences for his crime. I don't mean to laugh, but talk about an overachiever. <laughs> and a captive audience, right? So he, my student knows where this seller can be reached, Literally for the rest of his life. So now comes the next step, right? Most investors upon hearing this, they turn and run the other direction, but not my guy. He's working through this problem until he can have the opportunity to sit down in front of the seller and begin to help him solve his real estate problem. What do you, and you're probably thinking, well, he doesn't have a real estate problem. Well, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but I'm going to go ahead and reach out on a limb here and say money probably doesn't matter for this guy as much as it does for you and I, because well, he's got three, three hots in a cot for the rest of his life. Maybe he's got family. Who knows? Bottom line is what we've learned so far is that he's sitting in prison, double life sentences, so he's not going anywhere. The seller clearly needs a very unique situation because this guy probably has different needs than you and I do. This, boys and girls, is how creative deals are born. My student has a PropStream account because he's smart and he took my advice and he signed up for PropStream. And guys, you can do that as well. Go to cashflowguys.com forward slash data, D-A-T-A, cashflowguys.com forward slash data. You can get a seven-day free trial. Go on there. It is a great way to find motivated sellers. I use it all my students use it. Lots of listeners to the show use it. Jump in and get on the bandwagon. But he does a search of public record documents in PropStream, comes up with and realizes that looks like the guy's mortgage is current. So he's not behind on his mortgage. There's no list pendants filed, no pre-foreclosure, nothing like that as far as it goes for a mortgage. However, he does find by searching there that on public records through PropStream that there's a list pendants filed on the property through his attorney. So not a mortgage, but his attorney or a law firm has filed a list pendants against him, against that property. Now, if I'm just applying logic to the situation, I don't know this to be true, but most commonly this would be, this would happen. It, an attorney would probably consider doing this to use that property as collateral towards seeking his legal fees, you know, getting his legal fees from the defense. But considering the guy got two life sentences, I'm not quite sure. Maybe there's a dispute on that debt a little bit. I don't know. But I hate to laugh. I don't mean to be insensitive, but it's it's nauseating that somebody was murdered. that like actually two, somebody's were murdered. I just find it interesting that the attorney files a pendens on this this property trying to get his hands on this property when he clearly didn't do that great of a job defending the guy. But then again, if the guy's guilty, he's guilty and he probably deserves to be in prison. Now we have a very unique situation. So what's the next step? Well, you can't just pick up the phone and call your local prison and they put Johnny on the phone. That's not how it works. You've before any visitation or anything like that goes. Now, I teach my students when it comes to negotiation in every case, try to get face to face. Anytime you can get face to face, do it. Hello. Welcome 2021. We're in the age of COVID. Getting face to face is going to be a bigger challenge. So what's the next best thing? Zoom. Well, I'm willing to bet that the prison system probably does not allow the people in, uh, Gen Pop or in there for double life sentences have access to their MacBook. Now, you know, I may be wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and assume. I don't know. I haven't been on death row lately, but that said, he's going to have to reach out to, to the guy by direct mail. He's got to write him letters and kind of get the guy on board with agreeing to a visitation so that he can sit down face to face. Hopefully face to face means there's a big piece of bulletproof plexiglass and a lot of guards between the two of them, but still he wants to get face to face with them. How is he going to do that? Well, he's going to continue using direct mail, but this time he's going to probably use long form sales letters to try to get this guy on board with being willing to receive a visitor so that he can talk to the seller about the property and would he consider selling it and and that type of thing. And there's a lot of questions to be answered if he does sell it. how Where's the money go? Does it go into his commissary account for gum and cigarettes and condoms? Or what happens with the money? Does he have a relative that the money would go to? Would he want this set up in some sort of a life estate where, hell, maybe the guy gets paroled someday? God knows maybe one of these presidents or elected officials are just going to release him even though he's a murderer because, heck, maybe he's a good, solid, vote and let's just let them run free. So there's a chance the guy possibly could come free again. Maybe there's some sort of a solution that would give that guy a reassurance. You could do tenants of the entireties. There's all kinds of ways you can structure these deals to where the guy, somebody can have use of the property now and then relinquish it later. Matter of fact, I was reading one of Jack Miller's books and Jack Miller is a real estate educator from the old days, from the 70s and 80s. And I shouldn't say it's the old days but because I was alive, but um, from a while back and Jack Miller talks about using uh, solutions and Jimmy Napier said this as well. Structure deals to where somebody gets use of it now and somebody gets use of it later. Kind of like when you buy an, you own a, a note and you're collecting payments on the note, how you can sell a partial, you can sell part of those payments to get some money now and the rest of the money later, that type of thing. What you could do in a case like this, where let's say somebody's elderly, which is a good example for this. And I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I'm just going to pitch you on the concept so you get what I mean. Let's say the guy is elderly and he's not going to need this duplex and he doesn't have any heirs. 10 years from now, he'd probably be dead and he doesn't need the duplex anymore. He would sure like to have the duplex now and the cash flow now, but he doesn't need it 10 years from now. So what you do is you strike a deal with him where you agree to buy. Buy the property now to make the purchase transaction and then maybe trigger the deed transfer at some point down the road or trigger it now and give the guy use and possession of the property for a given amount of time. Let's say it's a single family house and the guy lives there. Well, you, you buy the house at today's prices and you ask for a discount. You negotiate a discount because you're not getting use of the property right away. So let's say that the guy is going to thinks he's probably going to live another 20 years. Okay, cool. So you buy the house today and then you discount it based on the fact that you're not going to be able to use that House while he's there for the next twenty years. So you buy it at an extremely discounted price. What's the win in that? Why would anybody do that? Well, think of a reverse mortgage. This is exactly how reverse mortgages are structured, where. They're going to get, I'll give you some, I'll give you cash for the house now, but you still get to enjoy it for the next 20 years. So throwing the math out there, let's use the $100,000 example, $100,000 house. Okay, here's a $100,000 house. It's worth $100,000 now, but I don't get to use it for 20 years. So how about I give you $20,000 cash for the house? You get to live there for the next 20 years. And then at the end of the 20 years, I get the house when you die or you die, whichever comes first. Clearly, if the guy dies in two years, that's a sweet deal. Just wanted to kind of throw that out there, guys, to give you some ideas of how you can structure these things creatively and kind of think through the situation. Here's a guy that's not going anywhere. He's on death row. He's got two life sentences. He's t- <laughs> things aren't going to work out so well for him. Does he have family is a great question. Where is it, who are his heirs, if any? If he doesn't have heirs, what would he like done with the money? At some point, I imagine there could be the potential for management challenges. Maybe there's a significant repair that needs done on the property at some point down the road. People are currently renting the place. I believe it's a duplex. People are currently renting it. The rent's going somewhere. Who's holding on to the rent? Who's going to oversee the repairs? These are valid questions. Maybe... I mean, the guy is a cold-blooded killer, but maybe the guy has a heart now and kind of wants to make sure that the tenants are taken care of and the place doesn't fall into disrepair. One of the great ways of doing that is to simply sell it to you. So, guys, there you go. That's my story for this week. I hope you found some value in this, and I hope you get out there and work those distressed leads, those ones that people can't find. Get out there, make some cash flow happen. Have a great week, guys. This concludes today's today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn.